welcome to Dynamics High Five Podcast. Today's episode is Let's Make a Deal. I'm Mindy McGrath, and I'm joined by my friend, co-host, and fellow healthcare industry enthusiast, Ryan Hummel. Hey everyone, the Dynamic High Five podcast is our take on specific healthcare industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. Dynamic views the healthcare industry as five interwoven sectors, and we are and will be exploring topics relevant to one or many of these sectors during the episodes. In today's episode, we're chatting about the massive acquisition mania that's occurred between plans, PBMs, and providers in a healthcare market that's seen significant consolidation in recent years. We will break down the magnitude of these integrations and what that may mean in terms of controlling cost, and we'll also discuss the value that these new entities may offer to consumers and the industry as a whole. And as always, stay tuned for the end of the show's parting thought. It's that thing that we've either read, heard, or listened to that we want to share with you. And joining us today is Dynamics Health Plan Sector Advisor, Kristen Sherman. Hello. Hi, Kristen. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for joining. Um, We usually do a little gab fest, a little kind of break the ice conversation. I'm into that. Let's do that. And I always rally around a food topic, so we're ignoring that, even though everyone knows that I'm thinking about the next meal as we speak. Because he's a foodie. I'm a foodie, but I also love, don't, haven't missed a meal in 41 years. That's good for everybody to know. Yes. So let's go around the room. I was just thinking as, as seasons change, I want you to tell me what your favorite season is and why. Wait, wait, wait. So um, instead of the <laughs> mundane topic of food, we're going to go with the mundane topic of weather. Well, yes. <laughs> we have lawyers, Kristen, and we want to make sure that we keep it generic. Okay. But fun. Right? What's yes. your favorite season? I'll put you on the spot. Well, if it was winter, I'd be in luck right now. <laughs> you would be. Um, I think looking at fall is probably my favorite season. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it usually gets pretty squashed in between the you know summer and winter. Always feels like a flash, but um, it, I love watching the leaves turn, and it's just a great place to be when you live in Philadelphia. That's great. Mindy? I'm a summer girl. I did a personality test a little while ago and to see what shoe I was most like, and it was flip-flops, which is so appropriate given the fact that I love summer weather. I love being at the beach. I love being by a pool. I love being outside with green grass and warm, sunny days. Well, um, The original, and, Ryan. Yeah. Well, I'm in the spirit of let's make a deal in merger mania, I'm going to say that I like the time when spring merges with summer. So right around that like oh June time, how do you like is that? Is this the how April we... showers brings yeah. May no, flowers it's, it's, type of thing? No, I wanted to make sure that we brought it back to Merger Mania and let's make a deal. So let's, I think that the June time frame in the Northeast is beautiful. So speaking about mergers, let's talk about what has been going on in the healthcare industry because we have seen some rapid change as a slew of giant corporations have basically proposed deals capped off a little while ago with the news that Cigna is making a bid to acquire the nation's largest PBM in Express Scripts. Mm -hmm. These engagements have really kind of occurred in rapid order. Um, They've been swirling in terms of their pace. And I think that the Cigna Express Scripts deal is really the latest in a series of these massive acquisitions. Um, And, you know, prior to that, what we saw is we saw Humana, acquire Kindred Health and building out those capabilities that they want to focus on in the provider sector. We've seen United Optum's Health Division also acquire yes. a provider in DeVita Health. Um, and then, you know, in addition to that, lurking behind the scenes is this whole 
you know, initiative that's been announced by Amazon with Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan Chase, um, in which they appear to be entering into the health plan space. Yes. And I don't think it's a coincidence, right? I, I think that Amazon has been um, looking to get into the healthcare space, whether it's a rumor or whether this it's its actual announcement. And I and I actually think some of what we're seeing in terms of merger mania could be a, a direct mm-hmm. um, relation to that. Um, so I, I think that the all of the entities that are more traditional are trying to figure out how do we start to create or, or continue to create the right value proposition for the consumers, the members, the patients, depending on what lens you're looking through, um, in order to in order to kind of be ready for something like that. Yeah, I also think they're trying to fortify their core strengths. If you think about the Cigna ESI deal, I mean, what's so interesting to me is, you know, now the top three PBMs in the country, mm-hmm. they, they own about 72% of the market share, right? Yes. They're all going to be owned by health plans. Yes. So if you think about how health plans have traditionally created value yep. for their customers, for their shareholders, for their, their stakeholders, that is actually really pivoting. It's shifting. It's evolving. And so I think what we're seeing is these moves by health plans to actually really kind of expand their opportunities in terms of how they create value in an ecosystem that's rapidly changing, where the middlemen, you know, are are really under a a microscope right now in terms of how they're operating and what they're doing. And Kind of just how valuable they are in the system. Yeah, and I think sometimes they're um, the, you know, they're making the move, and sometimes they're participating in the move, mm-hmm. right? But I, I think a little bit less about who's acquiring who, and I think more about the combination of what the end result is, right? So if I'm looking at all of these, um, all of these deals um, or potential deals, because some of them haven't been approved yet, um, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about uh, what's the power of of a insurance company plus a PBM plus the continued expansion of insurance companies and uh, PBMs to get more into the provider space, right? So the effort for them to really create like these hubs of care um, and really have have a different kind of value prop, continue to blur the lines um, and really compete differently. Um, so if I, if I think about the, you know, CVS, Aetna, um, I'm thinking a lot about uh, the fact that they are now going to own the patient in a different way. They're, they're looking more toward the continuum, um, both well and sick and then recovering. Um, they're looking uh, at the cost, right? So to your point around the middlemen, um, it's a middleman referendum, uh, I believe, you know, and, and, they, and they know it. Um, so CVS, it's a lot of most of their um, money from from their uh, PBM, uh, and but they they know that some of that might be you know days numbered, and they and they want to make sure that they're where the value is, and so I think everybody's looking to make sure that they're part of the solution, not the problem that is going to you know be with the patient, care for the patient, make a difference in the patient, um, and and. I think between the information sharing and that continuum life cycle of health, these are these are the end products I feel like of the deals that we're seeing. Right, um, I, I, as the as the person and the point of view character in a lot of these podcasts, I think it's important that we take a step back about PBMs. Right, they are the middleman or the middleman referendum. As I like that, you should patent that word. Um, 
Can we talk about what exactly they do, the PBMs, and what that stands for as the middlemen, as they, they store and supply drugs? So can we just talk a little bit about that? Sure. So a PBM is a pharmacy benefit manager. Uh, they typically are responsible for managing the pharmacy benefit when you're talking about a benefit construct. Um, so they work either on behalf of health plan or sometimes directly with an employer. Uh, and they're really responsible for um, you know, dealing with the pharmacy benefit. In many cases, what you see with a PBM is they also will have a distribution arm where they're dealing with um, you know, mail order pharmacy. And even more recently, many of them also own what we call specialty pharmacies mm -hmm. where they are responsible for um, providing not only the distribution of the specialty product, which requires a lot of uh, different handling mm -hmm. compared to a traditional product, but also many different wraparound services that go around with it. So PBMs um, really kind of play a, a very holistic role when it comes to the pharmacy supply the chain. The supply yeah. chain, right. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about where the referendum started. Um, and I think, you know, obviously I think consumerism has something to do with it. Anytime uh, the consumer is paying more of the dollar, um, you're going to have an, an increased um, curiosity about why things cost the way they cost. If I'm paying a $5, $10 copay, I'm not going to care quite as much. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to leave the system alone. But that's just not where... Um, the healthcare ecosystem is right now, right? We're very much looking at the consumer as a as a smarter buyer. Um, I also was thinking back to um, watching Heather mm -hmm. Bresch. Um, so she was, you know, kind of put in front of Congress last year, and it was all about the EpiPen, and it was over six hundred dollars. And you know, they're they're talking to her about, well, you know, what what is that, and why is it so high? And she's like, listen, you know, we get. $275 of that, where do you think the rest of it is, right? And I think people really opened their eyes and were like, okay, where is the rest yeah, it's, of it's that? It's a little right. bit of a black hole, right? Right, yeah. right. And so all of a sudden, this light got put onto um, the PBM space, I think, a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it has continued that way ever since. I mean, you're looking at a very big problem, and, and when it's time to solution around the cost, you're looking at all of the parts of the process that have the easiest, um, if it's not like direct with the consumer, direct with the patient, then why is it the way it is? Right. Right. And that whole process has been um, so non-transparent. We've even had congressional hearings that have lasted hours and hours and hours with different stakeholders trying to explain uh, how the pricing for pharmaceutical products works. And so when I think, you know, you get to the point of the PBM being under the, the microscope, um, for many, I mean, the question then starts to become, well, why was the pharmacy benefit ever really separated from the medical mm -hmm. benefit? I mean, if we're trying to get to the point where we're reducing cost and bringing more value to customers, especially under these high deductible benefit constructs where a lot of money is, is coming out of their pocket initially, what can happen to try to ease some of the administrative costs, the right. waste, kind of the gaps that occur, even the markups that occur, you know, as these, these rebates get passed back through the system? So I think in the end, like a lot of people are questioning, well, why carve out those two? Why not? Why aren't they united right. in terms of being one one organization. And, well, and, and some of them are, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so you, you right. have either whether it's United um, and Optum. And so some are either, it's very traditional, right? A health plan will at least partner, um, you know, with a with a PBM because it's so complex, 
right? To have the relationship with the providers, that's really more of the medical insurance. Having those relationships with all of the pharmaceutical companies, it's like this whole different world and it's really messy. Um, and I think that traditionally it's been easier to partner, but now we live in different times and I think there are different needs. And so either building that PBM on, you know, internally, or instead of just having it be a relationship, having it be an acquisition um, in order to better control the cost and the quality and the information sharing um, is what is making the most sense right now. Yeah. And I, I think you both bring up these key points that there is a difference between the partnership of a PBM and a health plan versus being the same thing, because it's the difference between influencing decisions and actually making decisions. So once you acquire it becomes a different mindset, right? That's right. not you're not influencing, you're actually making the decisions holistically. I think what's so interesting, or what like struck me as interesting in all of this. So think back to last year when there was a um, the possibility of some mega planned plan mergers that were not approved by the Justice Department, right? So the question then became, well, what do these large national health plans do next? And the pivot's been really interesting to me because. You know, You've seen some kind of directed towards the acquisition of PBMs. You've seen others like Humana who right. and, and United who have really gone um, you know, towards the acquisition of providers. Right. And then you have CVS Aetna, which is really interesting because it's a pharmacy slash PBM who has all of this bricks and mortar right, right on the ground. And so what's striking but to me doing about urgent care, right? right? right. I mean, so so CVS always had in their purview that they wanted to provide care care directly to their customer. Yeah. So them adding in the insurance aspect of this, I kind of keep thinking that everybody's going toward the same goal, mm -hmm. and but maybe they're taking different paths to right. get there. Correct. So at the end of the day, I think we're going to be looking at maybe you know three to five you know, main players, all of them with very strong uh, capabilities across insurance, pharmacy benefit management, and the ability to provide that direct care. I think even United Health, right? They started acquiring a whole bunch of surgical centers. You mentioned Humana and Kindred Health. I mean, that's, that's all, I think, going to the same place. I'd be really curious to see, um, once these deals go through, what kinds of products and services we start to see being developed or introduced into the marketplace because to Kristen's point it seems like everybody is going to to the same direct they're, they're going to the same point but just using different directions and to me it's like the avenue that they use to get there is where their differentiation is going to be mm -hmm. right their their ability to innovate maybe come up with things that are going to be um, more convenient yeah. to to patients or the, the healthcare consumer, yeah. as we want to call them, um, maybe more cost effective. Right. Um, you know, there's just so many. It, it's going to be interesting the to see. The story to the marketplace will be different depending on the order in which things happen, right? So if you are a CVS and you have a strong consumer relationship, your message may be a lot different than um, a Cigna and Express Scripts, right? It may be more around the cost. It might be more around the convenience, um, you know, from a one stop shop versus CVS may do more of that continuum um, saying we, we have your back both when you're well and when you're sick and when you are shopping and you are thinking about your health we're right there with you ready to provide care uh, ready to 
provide the pharmacy services. Um, so I, I agree with you. I really think their messaging is going to be a lot different um, depending on the order of operations. I'm thinking too, like when all of these engagements have been announced, I mean, one thing that I keep thinking is that the richness of the data that these two separate entities have in combined entities, and I'm just thinking about Cigna and Express Scripts. So Express Scripts has invested a lot of time, money, and resource in really understanding human behavior. Right. I mean, and tracking things like, you know, they have the ability to tell you um, when somebody is more likely to be non-adherent mm-hmm. to a medication than yeah. adherent. And and now with Cigna, they may actually have the ability to actually jump into an, a proactive mm-hmm. intervention. But that data story is also a piece of this that I think hasn't been talked about um, quite enough, but the ability to really yeah. start to pull data together in a way that is probably going to allow for a lot more um, proactiveness yeah. in terms of how you engage. I think it's going to be easier for mm-hmm. sure, right? Because I think right now there's there's data sharing it ha- that happens across PBMs and, and their insurance counterparts, but it's hard. Um, well, because they're not fully aligned horizontally, right? Right. They've got you know different infrastructures, different data models, potentially. But the the other part um, of this that I thought was equal equally interesting was, so if I'm Express Scripts, I have relationships with 80 plans, not just Cigna, 79 other ones. So how is that going to work? What kind of walls are going to be um, instituted in order to make sure that uh, that information is protected, um, you know, across Express Scripts and all of the different plans that they work with. I mean, when I saw that um, announcement, I, I, it was almost like the first thing I thought about. It was like, oh, well, first of all, it's like, wow, you know, 50% of the PBMs just, you know, marketplace just went with Cigna. And then I'm like, wow, what are, what are you going to do uh, with the, all the data sharing that happens with all the other plans? Speaking of data, and it's a good segue, it was kind of the question I was going to ask both of you, is we've done podcasts on launch, and, and we talked a little bit about personalized medicine and the fact that that is where the world is going, that especially pharmacies. The, 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 the medicine and pharmaceuticals that we're creating in the, in the world now are very personalized and may have a, have a smaller uh, population they're going to serve. Does the... Does, is that a reason or a, or an impetus for a lot of this combination of, say, uh, an Express Scripts uh, merger? Does, it, does that have play a part in it? I think it absolutely does. So I think especially um, with plans that play in the Medicare space mm-hmm. where the specialty drug coverage is either sitting in Medicare Part B under the medical services um, part of Medicare or it resides in under a Medicare Advantage plan or under a Part D plan, and mm-hmm. so I think you know some of the challenge for for plans and PBMs that own specialty pharmacy in general has been um, how do you handle specialty pharma, um, particularly when you look at where the life sciences industry is going, and that many of the new products that are coming out on the market. I mean, some, you're still going to have 
a good portion that will be oral dose. Right. But you're going to have a greater portion that is or a growing portion that has delivery mechanisms that fall under that classification of specialty. Right. And compounding, so I think, yeah. uh, infusion, injection. And the need for greater patient wraparound services. Mm-hmm. So I think um, in general, that is one of the things. The other interesting thing is there's been some studies released race recently that suggest that employers also believe that specialty pharmacies um, actually can bring a lot more value to their employees uh, when it comes to dealing with complex medical situations. So I think that's one lever, obviously, that probably um, was part of the decision-making process and in, in why these organizations decided to go after who they went after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think the other thing that just the political pressure. I mean, that the public pressure, the political pressure has been really interesting to see it play out. I mean, we've talked about it earlier, but... No one wants to go in front of Congress and get right. that coverage, right? right. Well, and the, but I think in the general, employer, right? The yeah. employer pressure that, I mean, yeah. heck, the Berkshire, the Amazon, the J.P. Morgan, that's all coming out of like this incredible... Um, I have one million of the 160 million um, employer-based, uh, you know, employees that have... Coverage, um, and we're going to change the game because we're the customer. We're paying too much, and we think we can do it better. Right, right. And that's what I was going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the other thing. Like, employers are reaching a tipping point, and we are dealing with a soaring healthcare bill. And granted, you know, the 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 inflation in healthcare has has tapered off a little bit, but. It is a huge, huge challenge for many um, employers in terms of dealing with that. And so I think when when you look at what's got to change, to Kristen's point, if you're in the health plan PBM space, you definitely want to be the first to make the change instead of having the change done to you. Right. And and these these organized customers, as they're being referred to, it, it's interesting to me because as the risk-sharing agreements start to also pick up steam and we're seeing more and more of that value-driven care or mm-hmm. those risk-sharing agreements, um, when risk gets stratified across the healthcare system, meaning providers are taking on some yeah. risk as well as life sciences companies, I think what you're, you're naturally going to start to see is that integration – needs to take place. Right. Everyone's in order, responsible, right? right? Every, right. In order for everybody to responsibly be able to uh, mitigate, manage that risk. Yeah. I mean, the cause is, is there, right? Because I'm looking at like a JP Morgan and um, I've read something around the fact, you know, they have about 300,000 U.S. employees and family members and they spent $1.25 billion on medical benefits. So, you, you know, you're taking that and you're extracting it across, you know, if Amazon has... Um, I think close to maybe 600,000, especially if you're looking at the new um, U.S. headquarters as a cause to action, right? right? You know what we haven't talked about is, is the end user, the consumer, or the patient. So I'd love to have kind of, I, I keep asking the questions because you guys are just educating me. At the end of the day, is what patient impact here is there? You know, does this have a consumer? Is there an opportunity Um we're talking about cutting costs. We're talking about the inflation curve of healthcare. Do you believe that this, at the end of the day, or even at the beginning of the day, could positively impact patients? I I, I do. I, I know there's a lot of concern out there that you know with the consolidation comes less options and, and a potential for the consumer not to win um, in terms of having their costs get personally lowered. Um, but if I'm looking at 
the patient, I think there's a, a big need to get it right and then to expand options. So just having all these options out there and no one's getting it right, you're never going to win at the end of the day. Somebody's got to get it right and then the competitive um, landscape can can grow from there. Um, and the, you know, the other thing about the patient um, and the consumer is I'm thinking about them even from a branding perspective and a trust perspective uh, because, you know, you look at like a CVS, right? I mean, who doesn't love CVS? I mean, I, I know yeah. I do. I mean, I'm tr- I trust them, right? I, I They're on the corner. Um, and, you know, I think there's an opportunity for insurance companies and, and PBMs to start to take advantage of, of you know, trusted brands yeah. um, in terms of getting patients and, and consumers to buy into their solution um, for managing, you know, their care. Right. Yeah. I think you hit on a really interesting and intriguing point around trust because if you do look at you know Gallup's trust polls every year pharmacists and providers always mm-hmm. are rise to the know, top much much higher than li- life sciences companies and even health plans so there's an element to that i mean the other thing about the and you understand why right, right. i mean you know this is the person they're that's right in front you of better. you they're making, making you better, better. yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I think the other thing, like if we really think about it to Kristen's point, I, choice is something that gets, um, I think, thrown around in the industry quite a bit. And yet you look at the complexity of benefit structures. And the reality is that the literacy rate in this country around really understanding healthcare benefits is very, very low yes. because of the complexity. So I would agree with Kristen that you have to get it right and make it easier to, to for the end user to understand and then you figure out, well, how do you how do you tweak it to offer more choice? The other thing I would say is that in terms of the benefit to the consumer when it comes to the pharmacy supply chain, United Health made an interesting move this week, right? They announced that for about 7 million of their members, they are actually going to pull through those rebates in the form of a, a point of service mm-hmm. rebate really at the point of fill. And it's interesting to me because that was what the fear of Amazon doing. And if they came into the pharmacy market is that, you know, Amazon has the ability to discount prices and pull it right through the consumer. And that's how they've established so much trust. It's it's only going to be beneficial for consumers if that actually happens. If this whole idea of pulling through these rebates that are part of that whole gross to net argument that we continue to hear actually doesn't stop at the plan. Right. It goes all the way through to the patient or the consumer that's filling their their prescription. Right, because that increases adherence, that increases access, Yeah. right? Right, so here's what I, you know, I question for you guys is, let's fast forward a year from now. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think all of this activity means for the industry? I think we're gonna see more of the same, yeah. right? I, I don't think we're done, um, So I th- and it's gonna take time for it all to land. So I think what we're seeing right now is the beginning, um, and maybe a year from now, we just see more value getting created through these partnerships, through these alliances, um, in the spirit of providing greater value for the member, the patient, Mm -hmm. the consumer. Um, So I I feel like we're at the beginning of a journey, um, and in the future, I think we'll still potentially be on that journey, but hopefully seeing some of the value that comes out of this or 
<laughs> I mean, the complexity is so extreme. So I feel like there's a lot of work ahead. Mm -hmm. um, but there seems to be a lot of passion and reason for for going in this direction. Yeah, and I, and I agree. I think there's first mover strategies, and then there's second mover right. strategies. And both of these industries in healthcare you know, that we've talked about, they're kind of um, a little bit of oligopolies. I mean, th there are only a few big players left. So I agree with Kristen. I wish we could get into a debate. I think I think this is the beginning. This was phase one, I guess, and I think phase two is going to happen. So I think you're going to see CVS is the largest competitor challenge and do something as well. You're going to see the other big insurance companies that haven't already right. What about Anthem? What about Anthem? Right? What about Walgreens? They've been silent, yes. right? They've been Did, very and they quiet. Got, and they um, disbanded from Express Scripts, right? Yes, they're uh, in a bitter and, divorce with right, one another. That's right. So, and then their 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 plan is to build in house using um, Caremark's platform. Mm -hmm. So, so it's. I think that you know you still got some big players out mm -hmm. there right. who are. Um, probably, you know, maybe looking at what those opportunities are. You got a lot of blues that have great reputations with their, um, with their clients, with mm -hmm. their consumers, with employers, with providers, um, and we we haven't, I don't think, seen all of that um, come out into play, and and that could be for a lot of different reasons. But yeah, and, and on the provider side, Ryan, I mean, you work in this sector, so you're really familiar with it. But you look at the the pressure, right? The the downward pressure on on just earnings for many mm. regional providers. I mean, I think, you know, a year from now, we're going to see more of this activity. But my bet is going to be where you start to really see some of that activity is going to be um, in that provider sector, uh, either providers re reaching into that intermediary space or intermediaries actually now further expanding into yeah. that provider, like regional providers, right, I'm thinking, right. not just like smaller ones, but real kind of big regional. Yep. Yeah, I'd love to get your perspective on this, uh, both of you, because, you know, I looked at... Um, you know, some of the more recent examples of, of health systems trying to get into insurance or trying to get into different spaces than there already are. Um, and and I haven't seen um, the big, of something that wasn't already vertically integrated, mm -hmm. right? If you're already vertically integrated, you got a big head start. But for some of the health systems that have tried to create that vertical value, um, I haven't seen a lot of big wins. Um, I, I've seen a lot of effort to consolidate horizontally. Yes. And I really wanted to get your um, opinion about maybe if that's right. And if it is right, why? I agree. You, we've seen, what, and I'm not, I may not be answering your question, but what we've seen in the provider landscape is a couple of things. Uh, we've seen consolidation across health systems, but maybe not with the vertically integrated health systems, right? Mm -hmm. you talk, when you think of vertically integrated, you think of owning health plan. Let's let's use Geisinger as an Geisinger's example. Geisinger is one of my favorites. I know. It's one, you know, grew up. What's in that one on, in California? Oh yeah, uh, Kaiser. Mm -hmm. is that Something the, like that. Something like that. Um, but we haven't seen exactly that next phase of of these regional health systems joining that and then incorporating or or swallowing up that that vertical integration and that health plan. Right. I've seen a few of it, but I don't think we've seen a lot of it. Yeah. But People I think macro could drive it, right? Yeah, so mm, think about macro. Like We could we just talk got, for hours yeah, about this. We just got finished the transition year. We're now into the next performance it's like year. The magnifying glass is on these. Right. And I think so I think as some of them um, get more comfortable right. with the idea of risk and, and risk sharing. Sure. Those capabilities will 
it's easier mature enough right yeah to the point that maybe then a vertical integration makes sense so some of it might just be timing right so some of the ones that we saw that kind of shed mm-hmm. that that vertical integration um effort I mean, just look at the timing of when they were doing it. Maybe it just wasn't the right it time. Premature. It was a little early. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I think you're right. I think as the first year of macro, I'd say I won't say went as smoothly as, but but it it went somewhat smoothly, right? And that's because it was kind of this this banner first year where we're just kind of getting our arms around it. I know Mindy is looking at me like it didn't really go smoothly, but this this year is really the telltale sign. And I think my belief is to answer your question a few minutes ago with health systems that are relying on their success in macro to get bonuses, to keep their providers happy. If they don't do well, they're going to need to act. Um, because to your point, the razor margin, the razor slim margins of providers from a profitability standpoint, 0.5% can make or break decisions that they're going to make the next mm-hmm. year. So time will tell, but I, I think the results or the, the waves of how macro goes this year is going to really drive decision-making from an integration standpoint. So we could talk about this all day um, because it's such a fascinating topic. And Kristen, we are definitely going to have you back to talk about it. Can we have a part two, Kristen? We can have a part two. And and if you don't mind, I just wanted to like end... Uh, my my contributions. Um, I read something uh, recently, and I think it applies whether you're looking at you know some of the current players and how they're transforming you know their business and their value proposition, or if you're looking at an Amazon, you know that it is said that success is going to require talented experts, a beginner's mind, and a long-term orientation. And when I read that, I, I thought. That is true. That is exactly what it's going to take. It's a million. Um, it's so amazing. If, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if th- whoever's going to bring that mentality to fixing this problem, I think is going to be the one that succeeds or the ones that succeed. So we're going to wrap this up and we're going to move on to our parting thought. According to a recent article that I read in Stat Pharma, Amazon, while they had this big announcement, right, in terms of this joint venture that they are creating, they have continued to quietly hire pharmacy pricing experts out of the industry. And although, you know, they had this big announcement, um, I think that what we're seeing is that Amazon is finding different ways to break in and encircle or encroach the healthcare industry. And so Stat Pharma had some really interesting um, perspectives on the way that Amazon is finding um, kind of like nooks and crannies to get into the healthcare system. And so while they're focusing on this other big effort, not to be lulled to sleep, that they won't break into the pharmacy supply chain because uh, they're buying up licenses in states and they are also... Um, I don't want to say poaching, but they are also hiring uh, individuals with pharmacy expertise. So I think we got to keep our eyes out for for what Amazon's next mm-hmm. big move may be. But the Stat Pharma um, could be a pure technology play. Yeah, article had some really interesting uh, tidbits on what's been going on coming out of of Amazon headquarters. Yeah, that's great. Um, before I get into my kind of my topic that I wanted to discuss, I want to thank Kristen again. This has been a great conversation, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit with something that I was I found interesting, and it's um, 
you know, we're talk we've talked about launch before at these podcasts. We're talking a little bit about this merger, you know, mania or the let's make a deal podcast. But I was just stumbled upon an article in Forbes about the amount of FDA approved medicines that got um, approved uh, in twenty seventeen and it was something like forty two. And I was like, I don't, is that a lot? Is that a little? But um, when you look at it, it's it's quite an increase from the year before. In 2016, I think they were in, in the low 20s or mid 20s. I think 26. 18. Yeah. And and it was it's interesting. So there's there's an interesting kind of paradox, if you will. So there was 42 uh, approved FDA drugs in in America, and they range <clears throat> they range and run the gamut of things like um conventional methods but we, as we talk about personalized medicine there were a lot of interesting car t technologies and interesting medicines that got approved that were new in the world of pharmaceuticals and life sciences but one thing i thought i'd mention is um there's this I- idea of targeting novel first-in-class mechanisms right so so that number actually went down as a percentage of fda approvals which it's interesting to see how we talk about um, efficacy and new drugs and, and see how that will evolve in 2018. If, if the, the sheer number gets higher, which creates more choice, um, it's a more of a Canadian year. I mean, I'm sorry, it, it, we had gone into a little bit of a more Canadian European model where there was less approvals and last year just skyrocketed. So mm. more to come. So this concludes today's High Five podcast, and we want to hear from you a bit about today's episode or other topics that may be on your mind please feel free to contact us at 267-930-4711 and share your message. And for additional conversation about the work that we're doing in the healthcare industry or a deeper follow-up on how Vynamic might assist you with your business initiatives, please contact us at highfive@vynamic.com. And for links to anything that we talked about today, please visit our episode page.